0: In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. The parable that you've just heard in the gospel comes from a series of apocalyptic parables that we've been hearing these few weeks. Parables about the kingdom of heaven, each one intended to give us a snapshot, a glimpse, some kind of intimate understanding of the kingdom that is coming. And we often look at these parables just like they're telling us about heaven. And we focus on that piece, about what it tells us about what will be and what God has in store for us. And the parables are certainly telling us about that. But if we only look at the future, we miss out on the radical and different present, the different opportunity that Jesus is calling to us to now. In this parable and in all the parables of Jesus, there is always an invitation for the present not just about what will be, but about what is, and about what could be right now, if we would only follow Jesus, about the new kingdom that Jesus calls us to be a part of, if we would call ourselves his disciples. It's especially clear in this parable, where Jesus isn't just painting a picture about the future, about some distant far off place, but instead is clearly calling us to live into that future now, to be part of the kingdom, part of the dream, now. So in the parable, a man is going on a journey, and he calls his slaves and entrusts them with some of his property while he's going to be away. Two of them invest what they've been given, and they reap the rewards. Not only do they double their master's money, he is well pleased with them upon his return. Enter into the joy of your master. It's full of joy and excitement, and he's pleased. And so he gives those two more. The third, however, doesn't fare so well. Out of fear, he goes and he hides the money in the ground. And while he's able to return the initial investment to his master, it's clear that that somehow isn't enough. His master is angry, really angry in fact, because out of fear or laziness or lack of thought or lack of preparation, this slave has wasted an opportunity. He failed to make something out of what was entrusted to him. And so he is cast, into the outer darkness. Now, like all of Jesus's parables, there is good news here, even if it doesn't sound like it. And there is a steep challenge that also flies in the face of the rest of the world around us. That's how parables work. So let's look at the good news first. The strangeness of this parable begins right at the beginning of the story. And yes, in this case, like usual, it is the strangeness that is the good news. God, of course, is the property owner who is going on a journey. God is in motion, God is coming back. And just like we've heard these last few weeks and heard a little bit in the epistle this morning, we may not know when, but the kingdom is coming. God is coming and the Lord will save us. And there's a sense right there at the beginning of the parable that God is still in motion. God is still creating and redeeming and sustaining and nothing has stopped, nothing is stagnant, everything is moving and so are we. And of course, we stand in the position of the slaves, that much is obvious probably, but what isn't as obvious is why any property owner in their right mind would entrust property and that amount of property to slaves without supervision. Now, as we look at this, it's important to remember that slavery in the ancient world worked and functioned in a very different way than the slavery that we often think of that is historical in this country. But having said that, it's still very odd that a property owner would trust a slave with this much. A talent at the time, the measurement of money here was quite a lot of money. Um, It could have been, one talent could have been as much as 75 pounds of gold or silver. So we're talking about a significant piece of money, a significant piece of wealth here that he's trusting, especially when we're talking about five talents at a time. Now, who would do that? What kind of a property owner or slave owner would do that when the slave won't be supervised could easily pocket it and run away or give it to someone else or lie about it and say they invested it and lost it or even say that they were beaten and it was stolen from them i mean there's plenty of stories here so there's something more to this relationship between the master and the slave there's hope and there's trust Trust that the slave will be honest and forthright, trust that the slave will do something good with what they've been entrusted, and hope that the slave will find a way to grow that investment. And still, even in the presence of hope and trust, look at what happens when the master returns. The slaves give back everything they've been entrusted with, because none of it is theirs. Not even the extra money that they made when the first two invested it. They don't get to keep that. Everything that they have has come from their master and everything will go back to him. They've been given something for a little while to try to make something of it, to try to please him, to try to create that sense of joy. Jesus tells us in many places, sometimes very directly in scripture, that if we believe, if we would be his disciples and be part of his work, then we are no longer slaves, but friends partners in the work, baptized into the story, children of God. And so we are entrusted with many things and not like slaves, but like children as those who will inherit and be part of the legacy and the story of God. So this is good news. And Paul echoes it this morning in the epistle and in much of his writing that we are no longer slaves, but children, children who will inherit the promise. This is the good news of the parable we have been entrusted with God's property, with God's gifts, with God's trust, and with God's hope. Now, as is always true with Jesus, and as is always true in these parables, the good news comes with a challenge, with a vision, with an invitation. And like Jesus, in the way that we've come to expect, it's not always the easiest message to swallow. We, the children of God, are entrusted with many things with minds and intellect, with gifts and talents. We are entrusted with the air in our lungs and the blood in our veins and the life in our bodies. We are entrusted also with relationships with people who are in our care. And we are entrusted with resources and with money money that the world tells us we have earned and so we should hold on to and claim as ours. But the real challenge of this parable is that Jesus is telling us that none of that, nothing that we have, no thought in our head, no heartbeat in our chest or money in our pocket is actually ours. It has all been given to us by the God who gives all things. We can't earn that money without our brains and our bodies and our hands and the education that we've received and been able to think through. We can't build relationships without the little things that make us who we are, the personality quirks, the faithfulness, the sense of humor, the things that make us us. And so all that we have, everything that we are, everything that has been knit into us is a gift that comes from God and it will eventually be given back to God. None of it is ours to keep forever. But it has been entrusted to us for a time lovingly and not as slaves but as children who are responsible for the inheritance of others for the futures of others for their safety and security. And God's hope is that we will invest what we have been given in the work of the gospel in making a better world not just someday in some distant future but now, in the moment that Jesus sees us in now which does, in fact, defy the instincts of this world that would tell us that all that we have is ours, that we can stand on our own two feet and that we should keep everything for ourselves. Jesus wants us to understand that these two slaves who invested what they were given, what they were entrusted with, they are already living in this other radical, hopeful world. They aren't waiting for God's future to happen to them someday. They understand that they're supposed to live fearlessly and hopefully and joyfully right now. And because they're willing to take that risk, they're given more, more responsibility, more to look after, more to do. Stanley Hauerwas articulates the challenge of the parable this way. He says, the parable is a clear judgment against those who think they deserve what they have earned, as well as those who do not know how precious a gift they have been given. The parable is a clear judgment against those who think they deserve what they have earned, as well as those who do not know how precious a gift they have been given. My friends, as Christians, we believe that all that we are and all that we have comes from God. And we have been given the precious gift of life the gift of a chance to live and to make a difference, the gift of love to share with each other, and the comfort, the promise of eternal life when this life here is over. We have been given literally the most precious things in all of creation and none of us have earned them. They have been given to us instead freely by a loving and merciful God who loves us more than we can ask or imagine and who wants good things for us. But none of us earned these things. They were simply given So the parable wants us to see that as soon as we think we have earned all that we have and all that we are, as soon as we think we have earned our righteousness and our forgiveness, that we can stand on our own two feet, that we are masters of our own destiny, that we have to hold on to what we have at all costs, then we have forgotten that we are part of God's new creation, that we are part of each other, that we are responsible for each other, that we are children of the Most High God and that we are still finite and dependent on the grace of God who is always in motion and always on the way back to us. This parable is about learning to live now as God's children who are fearless and generous, who understand that they have been gifted with so much for a purpose, and that what they've been gifted should be invested in the kingdom, turned into something more, given away. Nothing that we have is ours Everything that we have and everything that we are belongs to God, and we are meant to invest it, to give it, to grow it, to sow it. This is a crucial part of our spiritual growth as Christians. It is part of being a good disciple and following after Jesus, learning how to give with open hearts and open minds, not because we expect something in return, not because we want to get our money's worth or claim some kind of a pound-for-pound trade but to learn and to give because we love and because God wants us to. In fact, if we take Jesus seriously, there is nothing that he talks about in the gospels more than money because he knows how difficult it is and the forces of the world that would swirl around us and push against the idea that we should give with open hands and open hearts. As you know, we are in the midst of stewardship season. So helpful that this parable appeared today. And some of you have already responded so faithfully to that with open hearts and open hands, and thank you for that. If you haven't responded yet, and honestly, even if you have, consider this morning how you are investing all that God has entrusted to you. Give thanks for all that God has given you, for all that you are and all that you have, for all the people you love and all the ways that you live in this world, in the love and the mercy of God. And for the truth that God has entrusted you with all of this. Take in this morning the fact that God has a hope for what you will do with all of those gifts, that you will invest it and grow it and sow it and turn it and yourself into something more, acknowledging that nothing in this life is truly ours. We come into this life with nothing and we leave with nothing. But in the middle, we have the opportunity to make something of these gifts and to change the world around us, to be part of the work that... God is calling us to do part of the work of a God who is always in motion, who is always creating and redeeming. The God who sustains us and always comes back to us. The God who sees us not as slaves, but as children, as investors, as partners in building a new world. By virtue of our baptism, we become part of this world and part of this work, not just in the next life, but in this one. And it is a world we're building where We live by a different economy, not one of scarcity or fear, not one of necessarily getting our money's worth or having it be a good deal, but an economy of abundance where we realize that everything we have is a gift from God. And so we are just as willing to watch it go as a gift to support God's work as to receive it from God when it comes. This parable, like every parable, is an invitation to enter the kingdom today, this minute to enter this kind of living, to be part of the new creation that does not live in fear, but rejoices in giving. Beloved of God, this morning, this text speaks to you. What are you doing with the riches, with the gifts, with the talents, the treasures, the relationships, the goodness, the intellect, and the love that has been entrusted to you? How are you investing it in the kingdom of God? How are you investing yourself in the gifts you've been given in our life and our work here at St. Matt's? How are you making it and yourself into something more with God's help? What more will you have to show the master when he returns? Will you have hoarded it and buried it and kept what you've been given for yourself? Or will you have made sure that you did something else? you created something new, that you grew it and gave it and sowed it. Amen.